Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, today's episode. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. And for those who follow Business Creators Radio, you know that I record episodes from all over the place. Sometimes I do them from my office. Sometimes I do them from uh, my spacious Las Vegas balcony. Sometimes I do them from my living room. And uh, anytime I'm anywhere near my home, I'm usually under the supervision of my managers, Princess Alessandra Francesca and Princess Stella Giuliana, who are two of the most beautiful domestic short hair black cats you ever see. Alessandra has been climbing on my keyboard trying to cut me off. I think we're in the middle of another uh, coup attempt. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to have some fun with this. Alessandra's here and she's rolling over. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows I'm an allurophile, uh, which is a word that means cat lover. And we like to have fun here at Business Creators Radio. But anyway, back to the topic. And this is about the business case for human resources and how can human resources drive business results. When I was going for my MBA from Duquesne University 20 years ago, I had a concentration in human resource management. My goal was to become a Fortune 500 training and development director. My life took some different turns. I ended up forming a consulting firm that assisted HR consulting firms and training development consulting firms. Then I went into this marketing thing. Then I went into website conversion consulting. And now I'm at small business consulting where we're actually weaving in some of the threads from the work that was at the intersection of my brilliance and passion when I was in the MBA program and when I was working in a training and development department for a mid-sized company. That is one of the frames through which I view all this today and why I'm so passionate about this topic. To share with us how HR can drive business results, we have Ed Crow, whose last name is spelled K-R-O-W, for those who are binging the Yahoo out of the Googles. Ed works with executives and business owners who are struggling with people problems, such as adapting to changing business conditions and customer, investor, or community expectations. He is an advocate for using organizational development strategies to drive business results. He speaks with senior leaders across the United States and Canada about how to turn their people into strategic contributors. Ed is certified as a speaker, trainer, and coach through the John Wax, excuse me, John Maxwell team, mixing up those X's and those M's, John Maxwell, maintains membership in the National Speakers Association and is a regular contributor to Forbes.com, where I believe I've actually seen a couple of his articles over the past couple of years. He is the author of a book called Strategic HR, Driving Bottom Line Results Through Your People. Ed Crow, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, Adam. 
as always. Now, here at Business Creators Radio, what we like to do is before we dive into the main topic and after I read off the official bio, and let me tell you, this is very impressive. I'm not even sure if I'm worthy to be here. Uh. So <laughs> we'll, we, we'll do this. we want to get to know Ed Crow. Sure. So tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Well, um, my, my path took almost a complete opposite of what yours did. Um, I did not study human resources in college. Not sure I even knew what human resources was. Of course, back then it was personnel, I think. It was still called personnel. But right, right. Um, I had... Uh, I had studied uh, in industrial safety. And so I thought I was going to be kind of an OSHA compliance type guy. And what, what bit me about that course of study was not so much the technical aspects, but the training aspects of it. I, I liked the idea of training people and, and giving them new skill sets and things. And so um, at, at the time I was in college, I was working the docks at UPS and just had an opportunity to uh, go out and, and drive for a little bit and then go into management shortly after my graduation. And my first management rotation was in operations. And so I had the opportunity to learn corporate America from a non-administrative function side. You know, what makes the business truly tick? And that's obviously the people and the jobs that they're doing in UPS's case, which is moving packages from point A to point B. Yeah. So uh, I spent a couple of years in that role and uh, the, the divisional HR manager came to me and said, I'm going to bring you into the department. And I assumed it was to help run safety. And he says, oh, no, 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 <laughs> I'm going to make you a field HR person. And uh, to which I said, I know nothing about HR. He said, we're going to take care of that. And so I uh, spent the rest of my, my 12 years at UPS uh, in the HR function there in a number of different uh, roles and serving in different capacities and and buildings and such. And I, I think that's what has shaped my view of HR today is that I don't come at it from a typical HR viewpoint. Um, I come at it having been the recipient of HR services, sometimes good, sometimes not good. Yeah. And I come at it, I come at HR with an idea of we're here to help run this operation. We're not here to tell them what they can and can't do and to be the compliance police. We're not here to make employees happy. Uh, that's happiness is a personal choice. We're not here to plan parties. We are here as HR professionals to drive business results. Just like every other department in an organization, we expect them to contribute to business results. And for some reason, there are HR people that don't think that. And unfortunately, there are some business owners that don't think that, you know, right. that they, they've got HR just because they feel like they want to stay out of, uh, you know, compliance trouble or, or legal troubles, that kind of thing. And, and what an underutilization of our function. Yeah, I was going to point out a couple things. I may have briefly alluded to this. I can't remember if it was in the green room or when I introduced you. When I was making my decision about my MBA concentration, I chose human resource management because it was the closest thing to training and development. In fact, sure. the way that program was structured, training and development was a subset within their, within their design of how the human resource program worked. Right. Uh, so that's why I went with HR. And I had these, uh, I had these, uh, these, these, these bros come up to me like, yo, dude, 
What are you doing with HR? HR doesn't make people money. Sales is where it's at. <laughs> and uh, I mean, my obvious reaction was, if I really wanted to do sales, I don't need an MBA for that. What I need to do is I need to take influence and persuasion courses, which I can mm -hmm. do without a degree. Uh, but uh, but uh, I don't have, to me, that type of personality where I could base my whole career around sales. As an entrepreneur, I understand. As mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, you are in marketing and you are in sales. And I've gotten good at it. I'm just saying I don't view it as the center of what I want to do with my life. So obviously sure. sales. And the reason they would say that is because, because man, sales is where the money is. And, they, and everybody listens to the salespeople. Man, if you're a salesperson, you get away with murder there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm already in the uh, HR concentration and I know what they do with people like you, but okay. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, your friend's viewpoint, because my, my wife is in sales. Yeah. And She'll tell you that it's the constant battle of keeping the customer happy, but then also marrying up the customer's needs to the operator's needs and what their capabilities are to meeting the customer needs. So interesting. Yeah, it, it's um, and I guess it depends on the kind of product or service that you're representing. She's in a service industry, so it's not uh, here. I'm going to sell you this widget and ride off into the sunset. There's a lot of account management that goes on after the fact, and so. Um, but, but to, to your friend's point, and even to the, the challenges that my wife faces, HR is the puppet master of all that, right? Yeah, uh, I see it. We, we've got to hire the right salespeople in for our sales culture and our product or service. We've got to get them the right training and development opportunities to be the best salesperson they can be. We've got to get the best operations folks who make the best widgets provide the best services, whatever it happens to be, right? And train them to be the best they can be. And if the, those two aren't talking, well, then we're bringing them together to mediate and, and help them see the bigger picture of the organization. Um, HR is the glue. Now, unfortunately, glue can do a couple things. It can bind things together that need to be bound together. And it can also force things to get stuck where you don't want them. And my challenge to HR folks when I speak to them is, which are you? Are you the, the glue that's keeping your organization together? You're keeping everything in that, that nice ball that's rolling downhill and gaining steam, or are you the stick in the mud that, that is stuck and not allowing your business to move forward? Um, and I haven't found too many HR folks who, are, who want to be totally open with themselves, I think. Because your average business owner, um, and you mentioned that, that I just finished writing a book earlier this year, and I interviewed a lot of business owners, a lot of CEOs, and many of them cannot stand HR. And in fact, one of them said, Ed, I do everything I can to work around HR because they inhibit my ability to run my business. Wow. Can you, can, out, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I, um, I had a mentor who was an HR director back in the day. Mm -hmm. And the way he phrased it to me is he said, my job here is to say yes a lot. And I'm constantly, and he confided in me, I'm constantly dealing with those people in senior management, pushing me around, trying to get me to go along with things I know were illegal. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, he said that to me. Yeah. 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 And, and, my, and I get it. I do. My view is, and so what I told this, let me step back. What I told this particular CEO is, number one, you have the right to expect more from your HR function, and you should. 
Okay. If they yeah. are the, the stick in the road that the rock in the road that's keeping you from moving forward, then maybe you've got the wrong HR person. If they're always saying no, they're the wrong HR person. Now I don't say that because they should be doing things illegal and saying yes to them. I believe that a solid HR person would sit down with the, the executive team and say, okay, guys, we can't go about it the way you want to. Here's why we can't go about it that way. But I understand where we want to get to. So let's, let's have a discussion here about how we can take the reason why we can't go about it this way, but still get the results we want. And that's where HR fails, is they just say, no, can't do it. There's this law, there's this thing over here, says we can't do it. And, and I don't believe that, that, and again, I know I'm overgeneralizing and I'm probably going to upset some people that are, that are listening to this fine show. Oh, you're allowed. Oh, you're uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay. I've upset people. Oh, well, I mean, so we're, I, I, what I, we're I, here I, is we're to deliver, we're to deliver facts that people can interpret through their own truth to draw I, their own conclusions. Good. Um, because I, I think your average HR person, unfortunately, is not as business savvy as they need to be in order to be able to see the other options to help executives get around, whether it's a legal road bump, a cost road bump, wh whatever it happens to be, right? Right. To see all of those things. I mean, I'm, I am amazed at the number of times that I talk with HR folks and I'll say, you know what, you're, you're in a trucking firm. You ever ridden with one of your drivers? Oh no, why would I do that? Well, how do you know what they do? How can you hire great truck drivers? You've never spent a day out on the road riding around with them, seeing what life is like out there. I mean, those little things are what make HR. They truly are. And, and I learned that real early on in my career that um, I can remember going in at, at three o'clock in the morning during the early morning shift. And I would just walk around and I would just chat with people. Even on a day where I wasn't given tours of the building, I would just chat with people. And I remember the management team would say, oh, here comes Crow, just walk around with his coffee. Must, <laughs> you know, if it was in the summertime, it was, you must want to go golfing today because you're in at three in the morning, so you're going to leave work at noon kind of thing. Until I would start grabbing them and saying, hey, you got a problem over on that conveyor belt over there. There's a couple people, here's what's going on. I think you may want to keep an eye on that. And it got to the point after about four or five months of me doing this, and I would sit in, in their shift management meetings, they'd say, Ed, when are you coming in this week? It went from, what are you doing here? Kind of get out of our hair to, when are you coming in? We want you here. Uh -huh. And I didn't change anything. I was still showing up with my cup of coffee and just walking around talking to the people. But I heard stuff. Stuff that was important to nip before it got out of control, Right. And shame on an HR person that's not doing that. And, and I talk to so many of them and they'll tell me, wait, I don't have time to get out from under my desk because I got this paperwork and people are always knocking at my door and I got all this. I said, well, maybe people would knock on your door if you were out and about more. I mean, this is, to me, it's not rocket science. Yeah, they see you, they're going to know to come to you. Otherwise, if you're not out there walking around, they're not going to come to your door because you're just one of those people who's behind a door somewhere. They don't know who Ed Crow is. But yeah. once they get to know the man, they see him, he's got his cup of coffee, he's chatting with people, he's getting to know the process. He's not sticking his nose in, trying to order people around and stuff like that. He's becoming aware of what's going on in the situation and making that transition from what are you doing here to when are you going to be here? Yeah, it, it's, 
again, I, I, I'm a simple guy. And so I don't look for complex solutions to problems. And, and I tell my clients this all the time. You know, I'm going to give you things that work. If you're looking for a silver bullet, I, I don't know if I've got one, but I know I've got, got something that's going to work for you. And, yeah. you know, I approach problems that way that, okay, well, let's break them down. And let's figure out what's the easiest way. Because business owners don't have time to be worrying about this kind of stuff. They Correct. need to grow their businesses, right? They need to be sitting back thinking, where's my business going? Where does it need to go in the next five to 10 years? Um, and they don't want, nor should they be bogged down with these day-to-day -day concerns. Yeah. Um, I, I was, was chatting uh, a couple months back with a business owner. He had heard me speak and he came up to me and he said, Ed, I, I want to talk with you. And so we scheduled a call between uh, he and his um, general manager, myself, and we chatted about some of the challenges of his business and how he's grown it organically and through some acquisitions. And he said, Ed, I can't get out of the day-to-day -day stuff my management team won't make a decision without running it past my desk. He said, it's tiresome. I, I said, well, okay, I need you to be thick skinned for a minute. Are you part of the problem? Are, are you forcing? He said, no, Ed, I, I really don't think I am. And I said, okay, well then we need to, to get some training done. Let's, let's you know, pull some good management development and leadership based skills training. Let's give it to him. He said, I really like that. I think you're the guy that could do that. Um, and then, then we have the pandemic. And he says, oh, I don't think I want to make that investment right now. I said, well, do you still have the problem? He says, oh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of worse right now because we're working remote and, you know, we can't just walk down the hall to somebody. And I said, well, why don't you want to make the investment? Well, I just think there's too much going on. I said, okay, so you understand that you had the problem before. You're having the problem now. That means that the problem when things, quote, go back to normal is still going to be there. At what point are you going to say, I need to solve this problem? And, you know, that's one where the business owner has to say to himself or herself, I am no longer willing to deal with this problem. It's holding me back. Right. And, you know, when I heard the thing about the manager who felt like his people couldn't get anything done because they had to run everything by him, the first thing I was thinking to myself, because I've seen this in organizations that I work with, and I have actually have my own process for getting management and leaders past this is they themselves feel they have to approve everything for various reasons, most of which ultimately come back to some sort of fear of embarrassment is what it normally comes down to. That. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So what I was thinking, so, so I wondered if you were going with that is you were going to go to the people working for this guy and they were going to say, well, I mean, let's call, I mean, uh, let's give him a name. Can we call him Steve? Yeah, sure. Okay, so they, they might say, well, Steve insisted he review everything and then we send him stuff for review and then he either never reviews it or he gets back to us like three weeks later and says, no, nah, I don't like it. Do it again, but doesn't tell us why. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah so when, that's, that's where I thought you might've been going with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see that. Um, I have seen it. Um, yeah. And you know, that's, that comes back to obviously communication and leadership. And again, that's where HR needs to be headed. Those are the things that you talk about HR having a true impact on the business. It's on the organizational development side of things. Right. We can hire a monkey to plan a party, right? I mean, uh -huh. you can, can call a, a hall up and a caterer. And, and I'm not saying those things aren't important, but 
An HR manager should not be doing that stuff. And you know, that's easy stuff. The compliance stuff, simple, knock it out. Get, I know it's a, it's a necessary evil, but it should not be taking up 80% of our time. Um, if you want to show value and for what the last decade, HR has been saying, we want to see the table. We need a seat at the table. Well, you got to earn that. And, and I don't believe HR is because if we were, we wouldn't have to ask for the seat at the table. Right. Invited in. And so, I don't know, about two years ago when I, I really started to get a little bit more outspoken about this. And, and in all honesty, prior to that, I was almost afraid to speak up because I thought, man, I, you know, what happens if I start speaking up and people say, oh, man, he's a rabble rouser. <laughs> you know, yeah. But what I found is it's resonating with the people that I do business with, which are the executives and the owners. And so I'm not afraid to upset the, the apples when it comes to the HR people, because I feel like the profession as a whole needs a good shaking. <laughs> and, yeah. and now there are great HR people out there. I mean, you can find them. You can read about some companies that are doing great things. I know some. Um, in fact, right? in fact we have, we've had a couple great HR people on this show. Uh, so there are lots of great HR people. Unfortunately, I believe the average HR person is much more like Toby Flenderson from The Office than a true leader in an organization. I, I just, I, and that's personal experience, right? I, I just think that you've got this guy, Toby, and I just, I specifically remember one, one episode where Michael Scott looks at him and he says, why is it that everything I try to do, you make not fun? <laughs> they love yeah. It's really not his job to make it, you know, in the auspices of the sitcom, I get it, you know, but it, unfortunately, it's like HR's the fun police. No, 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 we are not the fun police. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, and, and I've seen the memes about that where uh, the company was going to host a Christmas party and HR got a hold of it and then, uh, the, and then the meme ends with everybody committing suicide, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there's, and there's very that theme but the idea right. is hr is the big party pooper because every right. time they try and rename it they find out they're offending somebody else mm -hmm. exactly and i uh for instance I, last year i was working on a project uh again ceo of a medical practice heard me speak and he says ed we, ha we have to talk man I, my business is thriving in spite of my hr function i said okay well what's wrong with your hr function he says they're keeping me from helping to they're, they're, they're actively impeding me growing this as fast as I want it to grow. I said, okay, well, let's talk. And this is an 800 person medical practice, just a massive surgical specialty. And so full, you know, eight, nine person HR function. And so we agreed to work together. And, and one of the first things I did, I said, well, I need to sit down with this entire HR team one-on-one -on -one and figure out what they, they view HR service as. Adam, I'm telling you, every single one of them, from the HR admin to the comp and benefits person to the HR director, all of them, when I said, what is your ultimate responsibility here? Each one of them, dead on point, said, to make the employees happy. And when I heard that from the HR director, I, I honestly, I put my head in my hands and I looked at her and I said, no, it's not. And she's, I mean, she was offended by that. It's not your job to make people happy. Create an environment 
that is inviting and welcoming for your patients and your employees? Absolutely. You cannot control someone else's happiness. And if you try, you will fail. And clearly you are because that's why I'm here. Yeah, I remember myself when I uh, when I was getting ready to make the jump from working for a company to being a full time entrepreneur. Specific things happened at that company that that took away from my happiness. In fact, I'm going to run one run of them by you before the sure. end of the hour if we have time. But sure. the point being is they just chipped away at my enthusiasm, my excitement through proactive things that to me just felt like they were just screwing with me. And it got to a point where there was literally nothing they could do to make me happy. I was really just banking up my PTO and paying off stuff so that I could make the jump into being an entrepreneur full-time without mm -hmm. having any debts. There yeah. is nothing they could have done to make me happy, which it kind of goes back to your point that happiness was my choice. Yep. And I realized that uh, I, I think the culture of that company changed. I think that moving to a different department changed my situation there to a certain degree. I think uh, just some of the changes and the types of personalities they had coming through, their objectives and goals, the fact they were bought out by another company, a lot of things. Now, again, I could have made choices that could have caused me to be happy in that environment. But again, it was up to me. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. wasn't up, it wasn't up to them. Right. So I don't so I don't say, well, they failed to make me happy. They failed to create an inviting, warm, fuzzy workplace for me. I looked at it, I said, hey, if this is the way they're going, I'm going somewhere else. I just need the time to scrape up that paper and get out of here. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So you know, as as I as I tell prospective clients, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm sitting there with that decision maker, uh, I say, look, if if you want someone who's going to do things the way you want them done, I may not be your guy. If you want someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear, I may not be your guy. I'm here to tell you what I see going on and to, to see and to, to tell you where I think the path to fixing the challenges are. Now I'm gonna to listen to what you have to say. After all, it is your business, but you need to be open as well to looking at things from a different angle and utilizing your HR function differently if we agree to go down this path together. I'll get your HR function humming right along, but you'll have to change your view on how you're using them as well. And so it does become that two-pronged approach when we're gonna revamp an entire HR function inside an organization. Um, I, I'm, I'll be starting, I'm on vacation this week and I'll be starting a, a new project next week where uh, my associate was in today, let the current HR manager go. Um, we're gonna handle the search for a new person. We're gonna revamp the entire function and the president and the CFO are fully on board. Um, these guys are both new to this organization within the last six to nine months and said you know, that our culture, our HR delivery model here stinks and we, we want to scrap it all and rebuild. I love hearing that. Now, I don't yeah. love having to remove someone from their role. That's never an, uh, you know, a, a fun thing to do. But I love the challenge of let's, let's just clear the board and build something from scratch that we can all be happy with and that's going to help this business move forward. Right. And I, and I see, I, I, I really appreciate 
that type of approach to it. And you said something earlier, but you were on such a roll. I didn't want to. I didn't want to interject. <laughs> uh, you said the whole thing about HR fighting for its place at the table versus mm -hmm. being invited to the table. And I remember when I was in my MBA program uh, in the human resource classes, that was a big thing. We're fighting for our place at the table, but. Now that I think of it, and maybe I missed something, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention the whole time, at least I didn't hear the part about what are we doing to make them want us at the table? Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I know in my early years of, of being activists in certain areas, I would pound my fists and demand a place at the table and my voice be heard and all that, and uh, that tended to get me nowhere. And then I figured out that sometimes you rather than resist the wall, you just open the door and walk through. You got to find that door. Right. That's right. Some, I mean, sometimes you make your own door. Yeah. And um, I, when, when I look at HR functions that are successful, they're successful because of the perceived value that the executive team is getting from them. And for instance, um, at, at our place here in Florida, our, our neighbors, we, we were down here over the holidays and uh, we were having a little cocktail hour and the, uh, the neighbor said, well, what do you do? And I said, you know, this HR guy he goes, oh, I hate our HR person. <laughs> and I said, do tell. He and his brother own a, own a business together and he starts you know, telling me these stories. I said, uh -huh. I, we need to work together. I mean, th th you should ex expect more from your person than what you're getting. No wonder you despise the individual. Okay. And um, it, it's just a shame that that's, that the view of HR is so poor. It's a shame, but yet it's earned, right? I mean, it, it, look at, I can't find in any movie, sitcom, any kind of entertainment venue where HR, if it's featured, hasn't been made fun of in some way, shape, or form. Well, I mean, let's let's think of let's think of office space and uh, uh -huh. and even the even the HR consultants. I think they were organizational effectiveness consultants, and yep. and you know, which goes back to uh, which goes back to OD, which goes back to HR. Uh, mm -hmm. The idea the idea was is they were mocking these guys for asking a bunch of stupid questions, but then the lead character says he just basically spoke the facts and told his truth about what he actually does at that company and how it's a bunch of waste of time filling out stupid TPS reports and, uh, and answering to seven different bosses. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the two guys sort of lit up and they basically wanted to promote him. <laughs> so, so, so that right there, when I view that, I view that as a case of HR uh, sometimes – allowing itself to be underestimated because I think the, if I remember correctly, the guy's names were both Bobber. They were the two Bobs or right, something right. like that. I, I, it might've been the two Steves. I can't remember. But anyway, the point, the point being is when they had somebody who actually laid it out for them, they got it and were capable of doing something about it. Right. And so, you know, some of it is, is speaking truth. And for instance, I, I was working with a, an HR director who was, did not have a seat at the table. So this was a, a privately held company. So you had the C-suite and then you had owners. And she was not invited to the board meetings for the entire board meeting. She was invited in to report and that was it. And so as I'm mentoring her, and this was a, a well-seasoned, you know, 20 year HR person. 
And she's like, and I, they don't give a crap about what I'm talking about when I go in there. I don't even know why I go in. I said, okay, well, last week was your, your quarterly board meeting. What did you present? And in five minutes, my eyes were glazing over. Well, our turnover is at 3.5% and we've got five new people coming. I mean, she rattles off these things and I, and I looked at her and I said, what does, if, if I'm the owner, what do I care about any of that stuff? Well, you should care about your turnover, Ed. Why? Well, because people are going out the door. So? So I have 5% turnover. If it's the worst of my employees, hold the door open for them. Wow. Only f I, I was thinking, wow, only 5%? Yeah. Like, go, man. It's pretty decent. <laughs> yeah. But, my view is if it's your bottom 5%, hold the door open for them, right? Get them out. There, now, are, com there are companies that do that. They right. have a procedure of kicking their lower 10% out every year. Uh, General Electric, for instance. Yeah, that was the old the Jack six, Welch thing, yeah, right? Yeah, the Six Sigma thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, if it's your top 5%, you got a problem. Correct. And so I looked at her and I said, tell me about the 5%. Tell me, number one, what's that costing me? Give me hard dollars of what 5% is costing me. Then tell me of the 5%, who are these people? Are they in one department, one shift? Are they in one position? Tell me, is it an age group, other demographics? Something that, that should spark me to say, oh my, I should care about this. But if you're not leading with any of that and you're just spitting numbers out, I'm going to glaze over, say thank you very much and leave. You haven't added value. Yeah, I mean, having worked in companies myself, I know that uh, when you pull up a metric like 5% turnover, all you have to do is ask why about two or three times, and you're going to find that most of that is caused by one idiot supervisor who should be yeah. fired. Yeah, I, I had, I had a, a client that was bragging about the fact that they had 6% turnover, but their competitors for the same positions were at 10%. I said, I don't care. Your closest competitor is 100 miles away in your industry. Right. Why are you telling me that? Let's look at the 6% you have and how it compares to the people that you are losing that have skill sets that could be transferable to other industries in this area. Well, then HR started to glaze over like she had never thought of this before. I said, come on, this is, this is business 101. Business 101 with a very simple solution. I mean, there are many modalities. You can go with something as simple as the five whys to figure that one out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what we got down to was that one of the reasons it was so low is they had an entry-level job that had a lot of churn, and there probably wasn't much we were going to be able to do about it. But what we found when we kept asking the whys is it was the new hires that were churning. And she had never even looked at it. They had such a robust work group that had been there for 20, 30 years that it was artificially deflating her turnover. But she never stopped to look at that. I said, what's going to happen? These folks are all in their late 50s, early 60s. They're going to start retiring real fast, and you're going to be in a world of hurt because you've already got the precursor to what's going to happen when you have to replace 30, 40% of this work group. There's no reason to believe that that churn is going to change unless you change something with it. And then it was almost the aha moment. And again, I, I don't think I'm a rocket scientist, 
but I get so frustrated that that again, I I'm sorry I'm overgeneralizing to our listeners. No, you're not. No, you're no, you're not. There, it's just I, I see this so often, and it's so disheartening. And so when you see articles about why we hate HR, I sit there and I read them. I go, well, yeah, this stuff's all true. When are we going to get it? Well, you know, I. Th- I, again, we could probably go on for about 12 hours and we could do like an 18 part series or I could even start a separate podcast where you and I just keep getting back on the line and keep going over this again and again and again. Or you could start a podcast and you could uh, just rant about this if you're not doing so already, which I think you should if you're not. But anyway, uh, here's something I want to get into because when people heard that you were going to be on our show and it was going to be an HR topic, uh, I had a few people write to me and say, Hey, can you ask Ed about virtual work? So let me tell you my story about virtual work. Remember I said I was going to give you a, for instance, if we had time. All right. So I can even, I can even remember the date. It was, it was December 5th, 2002. Uh, I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. I was like 25 years old. Uh, this was this was actually a few weeks before I finished my MBA, and I was working for a mid-sized company. And uh, you know, that time I was I uh, I'd moved back in with my parents, so because I was already thinking about maybe starting a business, I didn't want to pay that in rent. Plus, full-time job and full-time MBA. Did I really want to have a place to maintain? Right. I mean, right. I, I was being smart. Now the downs. Now downside. I lived on a clear, sunny day an hour from work. Sure. All right. So it was December 5th, 2002, there was a freak snowstorm. And you know what happens when freak snowstorms happen? That means they don't treat the road first and the road crews aren't on standby to start scraping. And uh, so when you have a freak snowstorm overnight, uh, even though it's only like eight inches, and it was about eight inches, pandemonium. Sure. Oh. And you said it was Pennsylvania after all, right? Exactly. I mean, so you, you get I'm it. I'm a Pennsylvanian, so I get it. <laughs> oh, really? What part? Uh, Lancaster County. Okay. Uh, south of Pittsburgh, Allegheny County. So yep. we're pretty – so and I've been out to Lancaster. It's a beautiful area. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so here's the issue. Uh, that day, uh, I was involved as the logistical coordinator for a community event. Mm-hmm. And that event obviously had to be canceled. It was going to take me. Well, actually, I couldn't even get out to drive the work. Right? Sure. I couldn't get out to drive the work. So I had to start dealing with it from. I, you know, I turned on my laptop and logged into my work email, which I had the ability to do. And I had this thing called a cellular phone, so I could make phone calls. Mm-hmm. And I got a hold of my supervisor, who himself wasn't able to get out of his house to get to work. And I told him, "Hey, I got to do something about this." And he said, "Well, you got to." Got to make sure that stuff, you got to, got to take care of it. So I said, all right, I'm going to make the necessary calls to make sure that the community meeting is canceled. People are notified and people don't show up, not to mention the keynote speaker, for example. Right. So, I, so I go through all this and I get it done. And uh, next thing I know, next thing I know is I find out that my boss's boss, who has this title like chief program officer or something, <laughs> and uh, actually that is his title. And if he's listening right now, I actually want him to hear this. Um, when I say... There are certain people in senior management who stick their nose into things that really don't matter just so they can show off how powerful they are as senior management. He's one of those guys. So he decides to drop his big senior management hammer and say that I have a choice between getting written up and taking vacation time because I violated company policy by doing my job when I couldn't physically get to the office. (laughs) 
Now, meanwhile, now, meanwhile, the other thing is, allegedly, I had a backup who was supposed to be able to fill in for me if I couldn't do things. Uh-huh. That same backup was the chief program officer's assistant, and she refused to help me, and they refused to make her. <laughs> so you're starting to see the layers pile on. Yeah. So I, so I, so I, uh, when I, uh, you know, after they clear the roads, I do drive into the office and I, I go into this and they tell me that, you know, we don't have a work at home policy. So you have violated policy. Okay. Wait, you don't have a policy, but I violate it. <laughs> you didn't even have to finish that sentence. Exactly. And then I said, Oh, okay, whatever. Uh, Hey, hey, you know what? If if me taking four hours of PTO uh, is going to make this this blowhard shut his big mouth, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to my desk and I got out this little thing. You know, um, as an HR guy, have you ever heard of this thing called an employee handbook? Yep. Yeah, All right. So I opened that thing up and I read page after page after page after page. I'd already read it, but I read it again. And uh, then I went back to my supervisor about 20 minutes later and I said, uh, Okay, you said that there's no work at home policy, so me having worked at home made it forbidden. Right? Okay, so in this employee handbook, this thing that guides the do's and don'ts of what I do here, tell me where what I did was against the policy. Well, the whole thing actually got dropped pretty quick, and I didn't have to take any PTO time, is, is the punchline there. Sure, sure. Right, right, right. So uh, then. Again, remember, my job at this time was to uh, logistically coordinate community events. About three months later, and uh, I had an event planned. It was Everything was set up, the caterer, the, the arrangements, the people at the hotel, our local staff, all of it was set up. The meet, it was starting at 8 o'clock. Actually, it was in, um, it was in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, not oh, too okay. far from Lancaster, right? Yep. And, uh, and I get to the office at 8.30 and find out that some regional director – for our company had decided on her own that everything was messed up and she stuck her nose in it and ruined everything. Meanwhile, all the logistics were set up and I had my own contacts because I had my own uh, friendly people in the, in the hotel they were at and everything else complaining to me saying, why this dingbat stick her nose and ruin everything. Hmm. And so then my supervisor finds out about it and he says, you know, maybe what you should do is before you leave your house in the morning, you should call in and make sure and confirm that everything's in line. I said, wait a minute. I thought I wasn't supposed to be working at home. That's <laughs> working at home. And if you want to press this issue, we can go to your boss. Remember? Yep. <laughs> so I tell this story because people see it as uh, classic Dilbert stuff. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's Dilbert, and, 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 I, and, I love Dilbert, and I love Dilbert, I love Scott Adams, he's, he's brilliant as a commentator on work politics and everything else, and also, in, also influence and persuasion, he's really sharp when it comes to NLP and stuff like that, brilliant guy. So I tell this story in all of its layers, and if the people involved are falling to me this day, and they're listening to this, and they're shaking their heads, well, good. Because uh, I felt like I was being silenced at the time. Now it's my turn. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, and I have a show. This is, this is the value of having a podcast. You get to share your truth and you get to cite the facts as you see them. Sure. Now, all that in mind, that is just a microcosm of some of the attitudes that were in place 20 years ago that mm-hmm. I imagine in many cases were still in place 20 weeks ago. Absolutely. Then you have the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And working from home not only becomes – changes from being that thing that people were fighting for to well if we don't do this like 
like literally in 10 minutes, we're talking about business and or in some cases, physical survival. Right. Yeah. So what, so I want to ask a broad question. We can narrow it in when it comes to things like virtual work and remote work, where do you see things headed as this, as the world moves into the post coronavirus era and Mm -hmm. what, role does HR have to, shall we say, be the hero in making this a positive situation for all involved? Not make people happy because it's Mm -hmm. not their job, but create a positive scenario as much as possible to facilitate things going well. Yeah. You know, what, what a, what an awesome uh, question here. I, and I will, I will start answering it with a, with a short story because it it will lead into, to why I'm going to answer it the way I am. Last fall, I was speaking at a, I think it was down in Louisiana, at their uh, state SHRM conference. And the topic was on strategic HR. And we, we kind of veered off into the realm of remote work. And I had one, one woman raise her hand and she said, Ed, I don't believe in remote work. And I said, well, well, tell me why. She says, well, if people are working remotely, I don't know that they're really working. I, I said, so you're saying you can't trust your employees? She goes, yeah, basically. And I said, how many other people share this issue? And I don't know, maybe a third of the, the hands in the room went up. And I said, all right, all you HR folks, if you can't trust your workforce, why did you hire them? And they started to look around at each other. And I, I tell you that story because I've heard it from too many HR folks. Well, we won't know if they're working. How do we track their performance? How do we know? How do we know? Look, this is not big brother. And if you don't figure it out, here's what's going to happen. Here's, here's Ed Crow's view of what's going to happen in the, for the rest of 2020. People have gotten a taste of remote work. They were just thrown into it. Now, there are some people that don't like it. They don't like the kids are in the background or this or that. I mean, I've got a 23-year-old daughter. She misses going to the office. She misses her office friends and happy hours and kind of all that stuff. She's ready to get out of her apartment and go back to work. Okay, so sounds, gonna, like, so, sounds like an extrovert to me. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so she, you know, she has a small little apartment. She just, you know, out of college kind of thing. So I get it. Yeah. But yeah. the average person that I've talked to has said, you know, I can't believe how much more productive I am. I do a lot of business with an insurance broker. And he and I were chatting last week. He said, Ed, I don't have to drive an hour to a client to have a half hour meeting. I'm he says, I'm getting, my, I'm getting more work done in six hours a day than I was in 10 hours a day before. Yes, that is the beauty of remote work. And so my view is this. You're going to have some people who are going to want to come back to the office, to be sure. I think what HR and business owners in general need to be prepared for is that people are going to say, wait a minute. I've just been working at home for the last two months. I've been getting my job done. You've been happy. Customers are happy. Things are flowing. Why do I need to come back into the office now? Why do I need to make that hour commute and then spend money on gas and parking and, and, and when I could get up and from eight to five be slamming it out for you and I'm fresh. I don't have to, I'm not stressed out from a commute or worrying about the commute home. None of that. Um, That I think is where businesses need to be prepared. And since we're, we're, we've got business owners listening I fully understand that there are some positions that can't be remote. You can't run a machine remotely. I get it. But please do not be so short-sighted as to say, well, because my entire workforce can't work from home, nobody can work from home. Please 
get that thought out of your mind. There are way too many studies and more and more are starting to emerge now that they're getting dusted off that are showing not only how productive people are while in quarantine and, and working remotely, but how much money shuttered businesses have saved in their utility costs. And so business owners would be wise to say, okay, do I really need to have all of this physical space? And if you start thinking about, oh, how much social distancing is going to happen, can I still have my cube bill? Well, if I can't, what do I do with all those people? And if I'm in a shared desk space, well, that's probably not a good idea. So what do I do with that? Let your people work from home and hold them accountable to the results that you're expecting them to attain when you hired them and what you're paying them for and what you're giving them bonuses for. Yeah, None well, of that changes. Right, right. I have been chomping at the bit here for about five minutes because you were hitting so many points. First of all, you're absolutely right. There are certain jobs that cannot be done from home. But at the same time, there are a lot that really are, can be done from home. We have technologies these days to support remote work. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are technologies. If, you know, if you're concerned about, well, what if people are goofing off at home? Well, chances are you are going to get a few people that are going to take mm -hmm. advantage, but most won't. So right. instead of focusing on the 5%, and those are the ones you want to hold the door for as they walk out, Amen. what about the 95% that are probably going to be more productive for you? There mm -hmm. are ways you can track their productivity. You can, uh, and, and these exist in offices today. Mm -hmm. It's real simple. The IT department has rights to monitor and track work computers. Sure. That's been established. So when you have people working from home, you don't expect them to use their own computer. You send them the computer they are to use for work and only work. Mm -hmm. So you can have, H, you, know, you, you know, it could be HR, IT, whoever it is, can log in at any time and see, are they active? Are they actually typing stuff? Are they doing stuff? Uh, does their business phone line show that there's an active call? Have they oxed in is, is a term they used to use at that same company I used to work for. Mm -hmm. that oxed in meant um, if you were in the care management side that you were available to take calls from clinicians. So sure. you push the button and says, I'm oxed in. So that technology, that, that existed in Cube Farms 20 years ago. It damn well exists on the internet in 2020. Yep. Uh, do you, uh, can you uh, also have somebody randomly chat people through the internal messenger system, engage how long it takes them to respond and what their response is like. Just do it at random. Let okay. people know that that's happening and just knowing that they better be close by if they say they're working and right. somebody instant messengers them that uh, they better be there to answer that message. Now what I would say, and, and I agree with all of that. Yeah. There's one thing I would say, please don't go down this road because I, I worry about the privacy violations. I have heard with companies that are taking their, they're accessing the camera and snapping photos. I was just, I was just going to say. That I got a problem. I think that. I was just going to say, yeah. Um, and I, and I, and if I, and if I had been able to go one more sentence, I would have said, and don't be, <laughs> and don't be taking pictures of people. And if you're working from home, put the, put the computer, the work computer in a dedicated room where at the end of the day, you close the door. At the yep. end of the day, you turn the computer off, not log out, not sleep off. Yep. And you put a cover over it. Mm -hmm. And 
when you are in login mode, unless you're on something like a Zoom call where everybody's showing their faces, you literally put a piece of tape over your webcam. Yeah. And companies have a policy of respecting people's wishes for privacy to do mm -hmm. that. Yep. And then I think you solve a lot of those problems. Now, the next thing I wanted to indicate is they have done studies of how productive people are in work environments. And the number I keep coming up with in various articles and, and analyses is something like two hours and 54 minutes out of an eight hour, eight hour workday. Two hours and 54 yep. minutes actually contributes to the company. So if, uh, and then you have to add on commute times, uh, expenses for clothing, going out to lunch, gas and everything else, daycare, childcare, uh, spouse care, uh, logistics of PTO, all kinds of things that you get into. So, mm -hmm. and part of the reason it's only two hours and 54 minutes is because of all those stupid meetings and cubicle drop-bys. Yep. So you yep. take all that away, and if you have somebody sitting at home and you actually get five hours of productivity out of them from their home office or that room they designate as their home office, You're you have off. doubled yeah. the amount of value you get from that employee. And save the hard costs on the backside with the physical office space. Now you can shut, now you can uh, reduce that cube farm. So yeah, if you want to have people come in for the quarterly meeting, or maybe you want to say, all right, so uh, for, for Monday afternoons, we would like everybody here, because here's where we want to have all the meetings, we want to do all the updates, and things like that. Well, I'll, I'll, the average person say, okay, I'll go in one day a week if I get to work at home the other four. That's reasonable. That's more than reasonable. Absolutely. There, there's, some there's some people that will be thrilled with two days work at home, three days in the office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's here. Um, last year, I actually put out a couple of uh, mini videos uh, outlining my thoughts on remote work and why we should be looking at it from a business owner's perspective. Because I was fed up of from hearing of these business owners. Well, you know, not everyone. My my receptionist can't work from home, so I can't let anyone else. That wouldn't be fair. Life's not fair. Your receptionist signed up for a receptionist job. Hey, if I hey, if, if if I'm if I'm working in the factory, I know I got to be there to work the wrench. Right. If I if I don't want to show up at a factory, I'm going to go get a different job, or I'm going to seek internal promotion to something in administration where I can do it from home. Exactly. And, um, you know, I've heard stories about like even, even businesses now under quarantine where you've got the essential workers have to go in. But of course, you know, a lot of the office staff, they're still working, but they're not allowed in the office. And that the essential staff is complaining, oh, so maybe we should bring some of these people back in. And, and I shake my head at that. I'm like, okay, this is a communication thing. This is not a, well, they can't, so nobody can. How about instead of the easy way out, you take the hard way through and you establish communication with the folks that are griping saying, hey, these jobs require you to be here. They, those don't. So we're not going to bring more people into the workplace during these trying times. That makes no sense. And quite honestly, now we're looking at, at maybe never bringing them back. We're going to allow them to just be remote and we're going to farm out some of this office space. So people, again, people don't have to like it. All we have to do is get them to accept it. And, and again, that's the hard side of HR, but yeah. that's where we need to go to drive the value for the business. Your job is not to make people happy. Your job is to create conditions that people can leverage to create their own happiness. So if they are, 
in that box of, well, um, I have to go to the office, but I'd rather not, then they can create their happiness by seeking a promotion or a transfer or another job. Right. Um, if they are somebody who has been deemed non-essential, but they would just love to show up at the office, well, then they can do the same thing. They can find something that uh, requires them to go to an office every day. There is something for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely there is. And, um, you know, so for me, I, you know, I, I always, I think it comes back to company culture. And so you look and say, okay, do we have the culture we want? If, if the answer is yes, great. Let's keep working at it to, to keep it where it is. But then that means we have to have the right people that want to be in that culture. So if our culture is one of kind of Lucy and let's flow and you can pop in and out when you want, well, hiring a manager who feels like someone's rear end has to be in a seat for them to be working, not going to fit in that culture. So don't make that higher, right? And so, so much of, of we started our discussion out where saying HR can be the glue that keeps everything together. I mean, we're coming back around to that. Yeah. Yeah, that, okay, every piece of the puzzle has to fit together. And as, as HR professionals, we have to be willing to keep working that puzzle, right? You keep fitting those pieces, fitting those pieces until you've got the entire picture together. Once it's together, it's a thing of beauty, right? You can say, I did it, 5,000 pieces, it's there, look at it. Um, there's a lot of joy in that. And that's why I love what I do because I can see that end result and I can, can work with a business owner to put that puzzle together and come out the other side going, dang, that was tough, but look at what we have now. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's going to be a huge opportunity. Uh, and I believe that since the, the coronavirus and everything else forced the issue of remote work, that we are going to see an acceleration. And where I've been predicting it's going to come down to is you're going to have a lot of people that were forced to work at home who maybe either wanted to or maybe in some cases didn't want to and noticed, hey, I'm twice as productive. My life is happier. I'm sleeping better. I'm doing great work for the company. I love my job that I used to hate. Sure. Oh, you want me to come back and sit in that damn cubicle? Hell no, I won't go. Oh, and by the way, I'm speaking with your competitor. They say I can work at home. Now what? Where, where, yes. The that, that's where I think this is headed. Hot. Yep, that's Someone where I think this is headed, candidly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's so many, there, there are so many downsides to an office. Yeah. And I think back, you know, you said 20 years ago. I mean, that's about the time I got into consulting. Yeah. My wife and I were dating and uh, we were living, she was actually up in the state college area. And so we were you know, two hours from each other. I'm a Penn Stater. There you go. God, <laughs> I love state college. And so, um, you know, I'd go up there to visit her and I was trying to make some business contacts. And I remember meeting an HR consultant up there and he said, well, you know, where do you work? I said, I work out of my house. He said, no one's ever going to take you seriously. And I said, well, I'm just starting out. So obviously, you know, money's tight. I'm trying to build this practice. Why would I go sign rent? I never intend on having customers come to me. And, you know, and so 20 years ago, that idea of having an office just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. And 20 years later, I've, I had an office for one year. I had a couple of business partners a few years back and, and we had an office, we kept it for a year and got rid of it because we realized we're never here. Right. We thought we'd give it a try, see if we need it. You know, it's just in today's business, I talked to a property manager the other day that has been so successful during this quarantine time, they are getting rid of their office. Someone who's exactly. actually in the business is getting rid of their office space. So, Interesting, yeah. 
You yeah, well, say, okay, there it I is. know. <laughs> yeah, well, Ed, we are actually at the top of the hour. We have about 90 seconds left, and I want to give 45 of those to you. Somebody's leaning in. They're excited about doing something, about, uh, about HR as a, as a business driver. Uh, how do they contact you? What are they looking forward to when they contact you? Well, first off, uh, first discussion's always free. It's always my pleasure to talk and see if it makes sense for, for me and, and an organization to, to work together to solve problems. Uh, I can be found on the web at edcrow.com. It's the easiest website to remember. Yep. Uh, my, my email is ed at edcrow.com. Uh, if they're interested in my book, they can find that on Amazon or on my website, and that is Strategic HR, Driving Bottom Line Results Through Your People. And keep an eye out. I'm getting ready to unleash sometime in the next few weeks uh, my newest leadership development program called Be Like Salt, a well-seasoned approach to leadership. I love it. I love it. So everybody visit his website at www.edcrow. That's with a K. So E-D-K-R-O-W.com. And Ed Crow, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor. And believe me, in education. Hey, well, it was great to be with you, Adam, and uh, the time just flew. All right. We trust everybody enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and our upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to your favorite network so we get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>